The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Annuities. There. We said it. We feel fine. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire with Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my trusted companion, Wade Fow. And today, we are, embark- we are embarking on a new journey. Today, we are starting off our annuities arc. Right, That's Wade? That's right, Alex. It's going to be all about annuities for the next several not sure how many exactly, but at least four episodes we'll be talking about annuities and how they work. So hunker down, everyone. We're in for a roller coaster of series right now. Uh, and we're trying to get some of these in because Wade is heading for Japan. <laughs> so Wade, any party words before uh, you know you start taking off for that summer break? No, no, I'm looking forward to it, but. Uh, it's not like I'll be completely out of the loop. It's just with time zone differences. It's hard to have a lot of meetings when <laughs> you're in a 14-hour time zone difference. And there. How, how's that for the small talk, Wade? Is that, is that, does that That's suffice for the uh, prerequisite? All right. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> all right, Wade. Uh, the, the only thing I'd like to say about it, annuity, since I, I got to imagine you're doing most of the talking on this one. So there you go. Everyone's going to be in love with this episode Uh, is at at some point I I made the realization about about annuities a long time ago, but I made the realization I I was used to just, you know, just look away from annuities. But the reality is, is that I was misunderstanding them. So I want to make sure I, I level set here correctly. You know, people think investments, people think annuities, and it's easy to think that annuities are just poorly run expensive investments. And the reality is that that could be further from the truth because they're, they're, they're different things. Investments, you know, we, we did a whole arc on investments and I, I hope we made it exceedingly clear that investments are a risk on strategy where you're taking on investment risk and there's returns that you're compensated for that. You know, you take on systematic risk and, and, and there's capital market rates of returns that you're compensated with. Annuities are different. Annuities is a risk-off product akin to insurance. So to compare them, they they serve different purposes. And so to compare them is wrong. So I I just wanted to make sure we level set on that because it's very important. If you're able to effectively switch that hat and view investments are investments, annuities are an insurance product geared to to protect you from, from specific variables, which Wade will address. It begins to make a lot of sense. Wait? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way to start with just talking about the idea that annuities are meant to be insurance. And oftentimes they get framed as an investment. There are circumstances where you might use them as an investment, but usually if somebody is saying, and this just recently, so I don't spend much time on Twitter anymore, but I got a notification because someone said like annuities are a terrible investment. 
and then someone else replied, oh, you should read Wade Fowle's book. <laughs> but uh, usually that's the, uh, the framing around it is someone saying annuities are a terrible investment. And that, in that context, that's where the individual's probably not looking at the big picture. That no, generally speaking, we're thinking about annuities for insurance protections, not in an investment frame, but in the frame of retirement income. When you're facing longevity risk and you want to have a sustainable, predictable income in retirement, that's where you think about the annuity. And then that's ultimately where you get into the longevity side, where the longer you live, the more it's going to cost to fund your retirement goals and the more the annuity is going to provide in that scenario. So the higher quote unquote rate of return it would provide, the longer it provides you payments. But those payments are linked to what you need. So if you end up not living very long, then in hindsight, the annuity may not have been a good quote unquote investment, but it it still provided you what you needed. If you're thinking about a partial annuity strategy, so you're not putting all the money into the annuity, you're still going to leave your beneficiaries quite a bit when you don't live as long as expected, just because you had a lot of surplus assets that you were going to spend that in that scenario, you did not have the chance to spend. So it's, it's insurance that helps to manage longevity risk. That's the primary function at the margins. There's some uses as investments and we'll get into that throughout the episodes, but no, as a starting point, it is very important to just emphasize Annuities are not an investment. They're an insurance product. And they're meant to help manage risk. The other, the other piece, Wade, before we get the ball rolling here, is in a similar manner to mutual funds. It's difficult to make the assessment on something by saying mutual funds are terrible. They're very good mutual funds. They're very poorly run mutual funds. The same can be said for an annuity and a lot of what we're be a lot of what we are going to be talking about today involves assumptions that these annuities are competitively priced. Do you want to maybe give a little preamble? Yeah, yeah it's also an important starting point. So as we'll get into these episodes, annuities can be complicated and that complications can sometimes create a lack of transparency so that it's hard to know if you're getting a good deal or not. And, and so there are many annuities out there. And, and so as we talk about this, we're talking about the quote unquote good annuities, which just means that, of course, the insurance company needs to take a cut somewhere <laughs> to operate their business and to have their profit motives. But there's enough benefits in terms of the longevity protections and so forth that the consumer is still benefiting and getting a, a fairly priced option that's giving a fair amount to the insurance company, but leaving plenty of value for themselves. Now, if you're learning about the annuity because you received a postcard in the mail to attend a chicken dinner or a steak dinner at the local steakhouse where you're going to be pitched on an annuity, (laughs) that's probably not a competitively priced annuity. You can be assured that the cost of that free dinner is baked into (laughs) the uh, annuity that you're receiving as well as paying for the 15 other dinners for the other people at that event who did not buy the annuity. So the pricing may not be competitive there, but that's rather than learning about the annuities through postcards in the mail, you have to be a bit more active in seeking out trusted resources, financial professionals who, who are not purely pitching annuities as the main source of their business, but are looking at thinking, well, we're getting into the retirement income styles, are able to offer a variety of approaches and just are able to focus on what each person is looking for and needs 
to build the most effective plan for themselves. Okay. So obviously this, this, this podcast is sponsored by <laughs> McLean Asset Management. No chicken dinner, but, but plenty of information for you. So if you want to learn more, knock yourself out. But as we move forward, Wade, we're, we're talking about the annuities that go to heaven. <laughs> we're talking about the good annuities. Right. Correct? And that just means they're, uh, they're fairly right. priced. They're not completely, yeah. the lack of transparency is not leading the insurance company to get a huge uh, amount of the potential surplus, leaving very little to the consumer. We're talking about the fairly priced okay. ones, <laughs> and we'll talk about what, what, and we'll talk about what what we mean by fairly priced, and you know, and, and the like. You want to kick it off now that we've done our uh, fill of yeah. caveats? Yeah. So this episode, it's really a vocabulary episode because there's a few terms that you really need to have a pretty good handle on to understand the landscape and the variety of annuities out there. So we want to start. With some of that vocabulary and then that's really going to lay the foundation where in the next couple episodes after that we'll, we'll start devoting episodes to particular types of annuity classes the um, well the simple income annuities the fixed index annuities the uh, variable annuities and so forth but to get into that we really need that vocabulary of what does what does it even mean to talk about an income annuity or a variable annuity and so forth and so in, in that regard vocabulary lesson number one, we want to talk about fixed annuities versus variable annuities, because that's one broad way to classify an annuity uh, in terms of just its underlying structure and, and how it works. So in that regard, the okay. fixed annuity, it's where the insurance, the, the premium is going to go into the insurance company's general account where that's providing access to, generally speaking, insurance companies have, it's primarily a fixed income portfolio. It's, they may have a little bit of growth investments mixed in, but they're generally looking at building a portfolio of high quality bonds. And they have some uh, advantages in building their portfolio that the household doesn't have. They can do the asset liability matching. They know exactly what sort of liabilities they face. So they can have longer term bonds that generally speaking in a normal yield curve environment have a higher yield. Uh, they can diversify across more holdings. They can take more credit risk. They can take advantage of institutional pricing where they get a better pricing because they're such a big player in the market and so forth. So they're putting together a high quality uh, account and the premium goes into that account. And then they're going to credit some sort of interest to the uh, owner of the annuity contract. Now, exactly how that works, there's a, a few different scenarios, but that's the general idea. The other important aspect of the fixed annuity is there's a sense of principal protection. You, you can't, at least if you have a sub-account, or not in a sub-account, but if you have a contract value where you can, you can see what the annuity contract is worth, it cannot decline in value, uh, gross of any fees. If there is, sometimes there's optional benefits. You generally won't see fees on fixed annuities unless it's an optional living benefit or death benefit. So aside from any sort of optional, additional rider providing additional protections, you generally wouldn't see fees, uh, and then that, that value would be protected. To find out more about how you can use the RISA to help you identify the annuities that may resonate with your clients, Visit resaprofile.com slash advisors and sign up for the waitlist to join our next Retirement Income Masterclass on August 28th and 29th. Once more, that's resaprofile.com 
slash advisors. This this is an important point, at least when it comes to uh, discriminating between fixed annuities and variable annuities. Uh, fixed annuities you specifically cannot be negative. Yeah, they cannot have negative returns, unlike a variable annuity. And then I, I should... Has, My comment on fees, we should also take a little further because one way these are marketed is, oh, there's no fees. Well, it's just they're spread products. So it's just like a checking account. The idea is the insurance company is able to earn more by investing those premiums than what they pay out to the end consumer. So it's a spread, and that's how the insurance company makes money without necessarily needing to charge an explicit fee to the owner of the contract. And just the term you said, just to make sure it's clear, li- liability-driven investments, the, the sort of the, they can do it more effectively than a person can? Well, right, because they they know, like if I'm building my own bond portfolio, I may not know exactly when I want to take the distribution. I, it's harder for me as an individual to do the household liability matching. Now, I certainly could if I built a bond ladder, but if I'm just thinking about a more general bond mutual fund, that's where I'm exposed to the interest rate risk. And if I don't know, if I can't properly balance the uh, when I want to take those distributions, I can be left vulnerable to the interest rate risk. And so I may want to use shorter term bonds that would generally offer lower yields. Now that's, as we record, we're in kind of an inverted yield curve environment, but generally <laughs> shorter term bonds offer lower yields than longer term bonds. And so as a household, it's harder for me to take advantage of the longer term bonds because then I would be more exposed to losses if interest rates rise. The insurance company can go ahead and use the longer-term bonds because they have the ability through the actuarial science. They have so many customers. They have a pretty good sense of their obligations. They know on average when these distributions will be taken, and therefore they can better match. They can build a bond ladder effectively, <laughs> but because they, it's a, at a much larger scale, they know what they need to fund, they can use more long-term bonds because they'll be earmarked precisely for longer-term liabilities in a manner that's much more difficult for the household to accomplish. No, that's perfect. The other comment too is a fixed annuity can have a variable return, quote unquote, like you may not know in advance what your, your, and it's not technically called a return, it's called crediting interest to the account. Uh, but it just can't be negative. So that's where a fixed index annuity is linked to a market index such as the S&P 500. Uh, so if the S&P 500 performs well, you may get be credited with a higher amount of interest for that term. It's just if the S&P 500 had a downfall or down year, uh, you would be credited with 0% interest for the term. It's it, kind of variable growth is that, just not negative growth. That's kind of my... Uh... My shorthand myself, and and you'll see here, especially when we get into deferred and immediate. Sometimes some of these names don't <laughs> don't fit the common definition right, of the word. Right, that's that's going to be especially <laughs> uh, the you know, in common definition, I mean, like when you're out talking, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend when you're out talking in a pool or something like that with, with buddies. This, this is this is sort of a little bit of jargon, unfortunately, yeah. but the, it just is what it is. Uh, the, the, my shorthand for fixed annuities is, is that really because of the crediting and interest component can unfix the fixed returns. I, I just, <laughs> to me, it's like they, they usually don't go below zero. And that to me, it's I, I anchor <laughs> like that. And that has also licensing implications and the like, but that's, that's my shorthand. So good point. And keep in mind, that sometimes they don't 
They don't adhere to the English language. That's right. <laughs> yeah, fixed annuity can have a variable return. It just can't be negative. And a variable annuity could have a fixed return because you could have a sub-account that's just a, a fixed interest type, money market type account or something along those lines. Uh, but that's not really what we're getting at as the key distinction. <laughs> fixed annuities have principal protection. Variable annuities are subject to loss. You can experience losses on the sub-accounts or now with the new more structured type of registered index-linked annuity that when you look at its underlying structure, it works a lot like a fixed index annuity. The, the difference is simply there can be losses. And so it's classified as a variable annuity. That's weird. Uh, just to call it a slight audible, you, you may, you know, I'm thinking about the ARC, but it may be good to define that right now, just simply because the registered index linked annuities is something comparable to the variable annuities, and it's actually gaining in popularity, I would uh -huh. say. Yeah, and it, it is a variable annuity, but it's a different type. And yes, it's become the really popular. Yeah. But so yeah, let's start. A variable annuity, how we traditionally would think of a variable annuity is you have sub-accounts and you can invest in, they're not technically called mutual funds, but the um, large mutual fund companies will often provide the legally specific investment tr trust type accounts that are needed for the variable annuity. I, I hate to say this way, just because there's some consumers and I'd rather do a most common denominator thing. So by sub-accounts, I mean, somebody buys a variable annuity contract. Under the contract, you have sub-accounts, which are investment options that can be selected under that larger variable annuity. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a shorthand, Is that right, correct? Just, you I, could think of it as on shorthand, uh, just like a, a brokerage account where you're picking underlying mutual funds. And it looks a lot like mutual funds. It's just technically that's not what they're called. But it's exactly the same concept. It's the quote unquote mutual fund for the variable annuity. And with the variable annuity, you have the ability to select these type of these sub-account investment funds within the annuity that exposes you to the ups and downs of the market, just like any sort of brokerage account would as well, where you're selecting mutual funds. Now, the, the RILA is the new cousin to all this. It has to be classified as a variable annuity because there can be losses to the owner. But when we talk about how they work, it's much more aligned with the idea of how, and we haven't described this yet, but in upcoming episodes, <laughs> how the fixed index annuity works. It's very similar to that. It's just, it needs to be classified as a variable annuity because you can have losses. And so the most common type of RILA would be the 10% buffer option, where you're linking to an index like the S&P 500. If the market is down, a 10% buffer would eat the first 10% of losses. So if the market was down 8%, and by that we mean that the price return not including dividends, if the market was down 8% and you had a 10% buffer, you'd be credited with 0% for the term. But if the market was down 16% and you had a 10% buffer, you would be credited with a 6% loss for the term. Just the, the annuity eats the first 10% of those losses at 10 percentage points, and you're exposed to anything beyond that. But in exchange for taking that downside risk, you get more upside exposure. There's more ability to serve a higher portion of the upside provided. So a fixed index annuity that has principal protection may cap the upside gains at 10 to 12% right now. The RILA could cap the gain, a RILA with a 10% buffer 
might be able to offer you a cap of 25 to 30% at the present because it's less costly for them to build the downside protection since you're still exposed to some downside risk. Therefore, they uh, have more ability to offer upside as well. And Rylas became popular during the pandemic when interest rates got so extremely low. And, and we'll get more into the explanation about how all this works, but fixed index annuities may only have had 3% caps just because there was very little ability to offer upside when interest rates were, when like the 10-year treasury is at 0.6%. We're not in that environment anymore, but that's when RILAs really became popular as an alternative to a fixed index annuity. And they've maintained that popularity and they can play an interesting role in retirement plans. And they are a type of variable annuity. It's just, they don't have the sub accounts in the way that we would usually think of variable annuities having investment sub accounts. They're more a cousin of the fixed index. Annuity. Thank you, Wade, for allowing me that little detour. <laughs> sure, sure. And we're, we're kind of building up with vocabulary right now. Then we're going to go into further episodes to get into more of the specifics. But yeah, that's that's the idea of the variable. Now, are we going to use these words in a sentence? Are we going to use all these words in a sentence? <laughs> yes, create a sentence using the words fixed <laughs> and variable. <laughs> yes, it's, and it's, again, a, a fixed index annuity could have a variable return, but the idea is it provides principal protection, whereas a variable annuity could choose a sub-account with a fixed return, but it, it potentially is exposed to losses. If you're still wondering whether or not an annuity is right for you, or if the one that you have is still appropriate, reach out to the team at McLean Asset Management by visiting mcleanam.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. Now that was the easier set of vocab yeah, terms. Yeah, the, the harder one is <laughs> immediate versus deferred. And the reason... And again, mm -hmm. don't think of English conventions. <laughs> well, well, the bigger problem here is they refer to two different things in the annuity landscape. And that's the problematic part. That's free tell. <laughs> <laughs> so immediate versus deferred can... Technically, what it refers to is when is the contract annuitized? And annuitizing the contract is the act of entering into an irrevocable relationship where you're exchanging the value of that contract for a specified set of payments, often for a lifetime. It doesn't have to be for a lifetime, but a, a, a set of specified contractually defined payments. Many annuities are never annuitized. Usually it's only the and we'll get into this more, but the, the income annuities are generally the annuitized annuities, a single premium immediate annuity, the deferred income annuity. Those are generally annuitized, but most all other annuities are not annuitized. They are left in the deferral state. This is this is an important point. This took me a while to, I remember when I was reading about this the first time and just understanding it. This particular statements that that Wade the, the particular statements that Wade has have made for folks listening to the first time, this at least it took me just a, a, a you know I don't know third hearing or whatever to really understand that concept. Like it's annuitized, and when it's not, there there and and many aren't yet you know, for for various reasons. But just because you buy an annuity, so to speak, doesn't mean it's annuitized yet. Right. And so in the broader consumer media, they'll talk about annuities are irreversible. 
Well, that would be annuitized contracts, which are actually quite rare in practice, under well under 10%, and I think even under 5% of annuities get actually annuitized. Um, but that would be the, the irreversible scenario. And that's can be done. Any annuity offers the ability to be annuitized. That's really the heart and soul of the definition of the annuity. It's just with the way they're used in the United States, it's very rare to actually annuitize the contract. The other area where these words are used is when do lifetime payments begin? Are, do they begin immediately? An immediate annuity will begin payments within one year of the contract being annuitized. Uh, a deferred immediate annuity would <laughs> begin payments 13 months or later after when the annuity is annuitized. So when... But you're not deferring the annuitization right. when you buy a deferred immediate annuity. It's, that's the, the other kind of like gotcha. Right. And we have to introduce another term into the conversation to make it more clear. We now have living benefits, the ability to add a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit that will support a guaranteed lifetime income payment. That is an optional rider added to the contract that's not annuitizing the contract. It's allowing you to keep the contract in a deferral state, but by paying for the rider, what it's saying is if the contract ever depletes in value as you're taking the payments you're allowed to make, taking the distributions you're allowed to take, then the contract enters a settlement phase where you could say technically the contract would be annuitized at some point in the distant future because that's when the insurance company is on the hook, has to settle, has taken, they've been charging you fees over the years. Now they have to make due on the promise and provide you a guaranteed payment for the rest of your lifetime. But that's what a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit does. Now that gets us into the scenario where you can have an immediate annuity that defers payments into the future you could have a deferred annuity with a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit that starts lifetime payments immediately. So there's a lot of vocabulary here. It's, and if you're just learning about this for the first time, it can get confusing. It's probably worth reviewing again. The idea of immediate versus deferred can refer to two different things. It does refer to two different things. Is the contract annuitized immediately or are you deferring the idea of annuitizing the contract and potentially never annuitizing the contract? And then when do lifetime payments begin? If you're annuitizing the contract immediately and starting payments immediately, uh, that's an immediate, the true meaning of an immediate annuity. But if you annuitize the contract immediately, defer payments into the future, that's a deferred immediate annuity, the technical name. So we have this DIA that usually we call it a deferred income annuity. And the term income annuity really means immediate annuity. You've annuitized the contract. So a deferred income annuity technically is a deferred immediate annuity. And that's really complicated, but it's, it's immediate annuity because you're annuitizing the contract now. Uh, it's deferred because the lifetime payments will not begin until at least 13 months after the contract was annuitized. And then usually like a variable annuity or a fixed index annuity or a RILA, registered index linked annuity, they're all deferred annuities. You're not annuitizing the contract. You could if you wanted to, uh, but you generally don't. 
and they may or may not have an optional lifetime uh, living withdrawal benefit. If they do, you can start but, lifetime but, payments but, but, without. But to be clear, I just because <laughs> just because you said just because you said these things are deferred annuities. They're deferred annuities. They are not deferred immediate annuities or deferred income annuities. Right. Those other ones, mm -hmm. they're just deferred annuities. Deferred because in you the can, true And sense. the other thing you may be mm -hmm. thinking is, yeah, deferred in the English definition of the sense. You're, well, you're deferring the, the other decision to annuitize. The <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you said it better. But people could be listening, and you said it earlier, but I want to make sure they understand. Well, how, how are you getting income? If you're not annuitizing, and that comes in this from the riders that that Wade was referring to, the rider that which is the kind of like an add-on to the contract that provides the income, even though you haven't annuitized it. That's for the the the, the deferred annuities. Yeah, and that's for a later conversation too, because you could take out non-lifetime distributions. Most contracts would generally have something like maybe you're allowed to take up to ten percent of either the initial premium or the value each year without facing any of the surrenders, which is we have to get into all that when we start talking about deferred annuities. Uh, or you could have the guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit, which is defining how much you're allowed to take out each year. And if you don't exceed that amount, that's where you're paying for this insurance that will continue the promised payments, even if that act of taking those allowed distributions causes you to deplete the underlying value of those assets, of the, the contract value of the annuity. So I hope you're not confused about that. And this is going to be a constant source of confusion as we go through the episodes because it's just, it's tough because it, these terms, immediate and deferred. So wait, you said, you said, I hope you're not confused about that. <laughs> you got it? <laughs> Did you just say, I hope you're not confused about that? And then your very next sentence is, this is a constant source of confusion. It is. I, I've talked about <laughs> these issues enough to know that there's certain things that no matter how many times you say it, and we, <laughs> it's just, it's going to come up over and over and over. So here's where we're explicitly talking about it. Immediate versus deferred means two different things. Technically, the true meaning is, is the contract annuitized or is that decision to annuitize being deferred, but also you might annuitize the contract and then it means are the payments starting immediately or are they deferred? Or you could have a deferred annuity with a living benefit where you do start taking lifetime payments immediately, but you've not annuitized the contract in that scenario. So that's the world we're dealing with as we get into our future episodes and, and start going one by one through the different types of annuities that are out there. In that regard, the next episode we'll have is on the whole world of immediate annuities, uh, on the rare case where you're actually going to annuitize the contract. But before we get to that, maybe finishing this episode, uh, we could take a tour of the RISA matrix and just think about where these annuities may fit in. Because it, it gives us a chance to use some of the vocabulary sure. we just covered <laughs> with our discussion here. And, and, and I'll kick it off. I'll kick it off with it just basic that since people may not have been, you know, re, re, the RISA may not be fresh in their minds. The RISA is effectively a, a, a quadrant, a retirement income style awareness that defines, that, that helps identify how you want to source retirement income based on two preferences. Prefer those preferences being optionality orientation and commitment, uh, an optionality or commitment orientation. So think of those on, on two spectrums. 
optionality is at face value that you want to keep your options open with regards to how you want to source retirement income. Commitment orientation is you don't mind locking down on an op- on a on a on a solution if it solves for if it solves for your income needs for the rest of your life. You know, so that's the, the sort of one factor. The other factor is safety first and probability based. Probability based being that you're comfortable betting on the probability that an underlying asset will increase in value over time. Hence, you can take a sustainable withdrawal rate from it. You know, that's a probability based approach. And a safety first approach is one in which you understand that the probability concept, but you feel you feel safer with contractual income. You want to take the liabilities of your future income needs and pass it over to an institution and or you know, some sort of contractual obligation. And so on those two factors, optionality, commitment orientation, safety first and probability based, we can we can identify retirement income strategies such as total return. And then the next three that I'm going to list are those that have a role for annuities, risk wrap, income protection and time segmentation. Wait. Take it away. Yeah, yeah. So then thinking about just how annuities fit into that. So when you're in that top half of the matrix and you have that optionality orientation, you're probably not interested in annuities for the lifetime income protections. So the insurance value of annuities may not be as appealing. In general, annuities may be less appealing, but there can be some cases in the optionality half of the matrix where we began the episode with this idea that uh, annuities should not be treated as an investment. And that's where, yeah, so much of the simple kind of naive idea people have is, oh, annuities are a terrible investment, are a terrible investment. Well, in the top half of the matrix, there may be some opportunities where you treat the annuity more like an investment because you're not thinking to ever annuitize it or to have a living benefit to provide a lifetime income from it. But you're treating it more as an alternative way to get a fixed income-like return uh, that also can provide tax deferral. With, compared to if you just had a taxable bonded fund. So in the total return quadrant, that's where you're least likely to be interested in annuities. At the margins, you might consider a registered index-linked annuity because it can just provide an interesting structure around the returns from the stock market. Uh, and then there's also, we call them IOVAs or investment-only variable annuities, where the idea is it has to be a low-cost variable annuity. Uh, but you're using it for tax inefficient asset classes to just get additional tax deferral for those inefficient asset classes. Everything comes out of the annuity as ordinary income. So you don't want your stock market index funds (laughs) in an investment only variable annuity. But if you do have Mm -hmm. actively traded funds or bond funds and so forth, housing those inside a low cost variable annuity can be a cool way to get additional tax deferral and not have to pay the ongoing taxation on interest and dividends and, and all the uh, gains from trades internally within those funded sub-accounts. On the time segmentation quadrant, now we're entering more the world of fixed annuities, but being used for their accredited interest, not for any sort of lifetime protections. That could be the the MIGA, the multi-year guaranteed annuity, which is sort of like the CD equivalent in the annuity world, just providing the additional tax deferral as well, or different types of deferred fixed annuities, whether that's a fixed index annuity that provides a variable return, although principal protection, not less than zero, or some other type of fixed return product, which uh, you could pick the sub or the 
the sub option, not sub account, but sub option in a fixed index annuity, providing a fixed return, or you could just have a more general deferred fixed annuity that provides a fixed uh, interest return. Then in the lower half of the matrix, that's where we start talking about annuities for lifetime income. And if your income protection, more of that safety first orientation with commitment, that's where you'll be thinking more along the lines of the immediate annuities. In the, in the, now that we have that vocabulary, <laughs> you're going to annuitize the contract. And that's a single premium immediate annuity, a deferred income annuity. Also, you might look at different types of deferred fixed annuities, such as a fixed index annuity with an optional guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit that could provide a payout that's competitive to the single premium immediate annuity or deferred income annuity. Then if your risk wrap on the lower right, so you're more probability-based more and, and commitment-oriented, then you're probably going to look more at the variable annuities with living benefits. They, and that's registered index-linked annuities or just the traditional variable annuity with the investment sub-accounts. Now, they generally, the reason why they may appeal more to risk wrap is if the market does really poorly, the, the protected lifetime income is probably going to be lower than with a, a more of a fixed annuity approach. Uh, but they give you that opportunity to grow the underlying subaccounts. And if markets do decent, over time, you might be able to generate a lot more spending with step ups to the uh, protected income amount and so forth. Uh, to give a better overall experience. And because you're probability-based, you would be more comfortable relying on the idea that markets might perform at a reasonable level so that you, in the long term, could benefit more from that sort of variable annuity structure, but with a living benefit. And you're committing to the contract and you have a protected lifetime income that serves as a guardrail around what the market is doing. So that's the, the universe and really... What we want to do in future episodes is devote more attention to these different types of annuities and making sure everyone understands how they work. And to do that, we'll go into the next episode on oh. immediate annuities, the true immediate, the, the annuitized contracts. <laughs> I think that I think it's great, man. Uh, yeah, and look, we realize this is new information for some. And, you know, or maybe some folks didn't, they didn't think it was new, but it became new, you know, upon listening to this. And we're going to be reinforcing this throughout, throughout the arc. So this won't be the only episode where we'll, we'll try to take a step back and just, you know, do a little definitional uh, layout as well. But thank you for listening. Wade, anything else? Yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time on Retire With Style. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.